Growing up, my dad was a successful entrepreneur who used the profits from his business to invest in San Diego real estate. When I was born, my parents brought me home to this incredible house in the hills of San Diego, overlooking this large valley. I can still see the house in my mind's eye. My earliest and happiest moments are spent exploring that valley and playing in that house. Perfect as it is, however, it's also short-lived. Around the age of six, my parents lose the family business, lose the investment properties, lose their marriage, and lose our home. My mom and dad sit me down and make their best attempt to explain divorce to me. I leave the conversation feeling confused, and it's not until we move into our new home that the reality of how my life is going to change sets in. Moving day comes, and I enter the apartment that my mom and I will now call home. Gone is the large childhood dream home on the hills. Now is the dated 800-square-foot apartment on the sketchy side of town. I can literally see the entire living space from the entrance. My first step into the front door places me in the tiny living room. The bathroom and two bedrooms are only eight steps ahead. The kitchen is six steps to the left. And the dining room is not even a dining room, but a spot in the living room where you could maybe put a table. But as bad as it seems to me inside the apartment, it's much worse outside. The entire apartment complex is a cesspool of drugs, alcohol, sex, crime, child abuse, violence, and I'm now surrounded by it. Inevitably, my friend group changes drastically. Every influence that would lead a young person to pursue the path of failure in life begins pressing on me and adding fuel to the fire. I now have zero supervision. With my mom working the night shift to pay the bills, I'm often now left completely alone at night. My six-year-old routine starts at 7 p.m. I munch down my microwave dinner, watch some TV, and climb into bed where I hit play on my tape recorder and listen to my mom's pre-recorded voice, reading as I turn the corresponding pages in my bedtime book. In the morning, I make myself a bowl of cereal, get dressed, and walk to school. I continue this routine for a couple years until I have the wonderful realization of what a life unsupervised actually means. Around the age of nine, it finally occurs to me that my family situation means I can literally do anything I want with zero accountability. I start hanging out with my other unsupervised friends until late. Often, I don't even come home until 2 or 3 in the morning on a school night and nobody even knows. Gradually, I start pushing anything out of my life that even vaguely resembles responsibility. School and sports are the first to go. Anything that requires me to be at a specific place at a specific time is intolerable. Anything that requires me to be committed in any way is eliminated and replaced with whatever I want. Skateboarding, surfing, hanging out, video games. I spent all my time marching to the beat of my own lazy, worthless drum. Oh, and had drumming in there as well. I played in a punk band. These activities characterize an entire decade of my life. At the end of that 10-year run, I find myself a high school senior with a GPA around 1.0. My first experience in the art of human persuasion comes as I sit one by one with each of my teachers and explain that if they leave my grade enough, I won't graduate. 
And if I don't graduate, they will have me back in their classes again, which none of us want. My argument is persuasive enough that my teachers change my grades and I receive my high school diploma. Ten years of my life has now passed, and the only thing I have to show for it is a piece of paper I didn't even earn. Immediately after graduation, I move away from home. After a brief stint in community college in Santa Barbara and a two-year service mission, I find myself at 22 years old in Provo, Utah, and dirt broke. I have no access to money other than the minimum wage I earn from working, and between college and attempting to have some semblance of a social life, I find it difficult to earn enough to even pay my bills. I start using debt to pay for my expenses and to supplement what little income I have. I start donating plasma. Two hours per week with a McDonald's milkshake straw-sized needle sticking out of my arm for $40 cash a pop. I try and go every day, but the clinic won't let me. I'm so broke, I have to borrow cars just to date girls. A particularly embarrassing moment occurs when, unbeknownst to me, I borrow a car from a friend who knows the girl I'm taking out. The car is the nicest I've been able to borrow, so I'm pretty excited. My joy collapses, however, when upon picking my date up, she makes the connection and asks if the car belongs to the girl I borrowed it from. When she realizes I don't even own a car and had to borrow one to pick her up, she laughs. I'm mortified. Immediately following the date, I call my mom and beg her to help me buy a car. I don't even care what kind of car it is just as long as it has four wheels and an engine. But she has to deny my request. Insurance and car payments, no matter how small, are just not in the budget. I had always been taught that money doesn't buy happiness, but having no money sure was buying me a lot of misery. Being poor hurt. Poverty is like a constant dull pain. I felt like a dog begging the universe for a bone. Finally, one night, I got tossed a scrap. At a party, I overheard a student mention to his friend that his neighbor was donating a car to charity. I immediately turned around and asked him for his address. The next day, I'm standing in the street in front of his house. I then realized that I had forgotten to ask him which of his neighbors was donating a car so I just started knocking doors and asking people if they had any plans to donate their vehicle. After encountering many confused people, a middle-aged couple finally answers the door and confirms that they are the donators. I then emphatically inform them that if they are looking for a charitable cause to donate to, they will find none more deserving than me. I tell them my story and what I'm trying to accomplish in life, including dating girls. And I promise them that the first chance I get, I will buy a car and donate theirs to whatever charity they were going to give it to. They politely decline. But seeing this as my only hope for having a vehicle, I just keep explaining and pleading, reasoning and requesting. The possibility of walking away without a car wasn't even a reality in my mind. They finally must have realized the futility in trying to convince me that I could not have their car because after what seemed like hours of persistence, they finally agreed, and they gave me the keys. I'm so excited, I can't contain it. Seeing that car, you'd be very confused about why anyone would be excited to own it. The car is old and weird looking. The auto engineers designed it to look futuristic, but 
Since it's old, it just looks like this clumsy retro rocket. It doesn't even have a working first or third gear, which means I can't drive it on the freeway, and it's pathetically slow off the line. Try getting honked at every time a light turns green. But I don't care. It has four wheels and an engine. Life is getting better. But I'm still broke and still hurting. I have a car, but what I really need is an opportunity. Eventually, that opportunity comes through the budding door-to-door summer sales industry. I learned that college students in Utah Valley are knocking doors to earn money during the summer to pay for school. By this time, there are already thousands of young people successfully earning 20, 50, and sometimes even over $100,000 in one summer selling door-to-door. I sign up with the first team I can find that is going to San Diego and head out to knock. I soon find that sales is my salvation. Sales doesn't seem to care that I grew up poor. It doesn't care that I flunked out of high school. It doesn't care that I'm broke now. It doesn't care that my parents are divorced. It doesn't care that I wasted 10 years of my life. And it doesn't care that my life up to this point has largely been characterized by terrible decisions. The only thing sales cares about is how willing I am to work my guts out and attack my fears. So I get to work. Going into that summer, my goal was to make enough money to fix the transmission in the spaceship. That's what my friends affectionately called my car. Pay for rent and pay for school. However, I quickly discover just how generously the universe will shower success upon those who put their nose to the grindstone. I soon change my goal and end up earning four times what I had originally planned. At the end of the summer, I return back to my college town. I've just made more in four months than most new college graduates earn in a year. In my entire life, I had never possessed more than a couple hundred dollars at once. And now I'm standing in my new paid in full apartment holding a bonus check for more money than I even knew could exist in one place. Eventually, the dreaminess of my new reality subsides as I realize my fridge is empty. I head to Walmart to do some grocery shopping. Making my way to the freezer section, I pick up a pack of Oscar Mayer bologna, but as I'm about to toss the meager meat into my car, I pause. Out of habit, I usually purchased nothing but the absolute cheapest of everything. I'm suddenly struck by the revelation that this is no longer necessary. I'm not poor anymore. I actually have money. I hold the bologna high over my head and heave it into the refrigerator case. Victoriously, I speed over to the deli counter and order the most expensive turkey they sell. I feel six feet taller. I'm bursting with pride. It might seem ridiculous to feel empowered by lunch meat, but the contrast between the previous decade of my life and that one summer is so real and so powerful that I can't help myself. The entire experience expands my vision of what is possible for my life. I sign up to knock doors again, but this time with my new wife. I become the number one sales rep in my company make six figures in four months, and just like that, my life has changed forever. The six-figure summer is an analogy. It represents the vision and power 
of any individual, regardless of upbringing or circumstances, to completely dominate life by maximizing their human potential and becoming the absolute best in any job, career, company, field, industry, endeavor, or ambition. The purpose of this book is to help you discover your six-figure summer. It will empower you to radically improve your life and circumstances beyond what you previously thought possible. How did this book come to be? After that second life-changing summer, I immediately became a resource for anyone seeking sales training and found myself fielding questions from aspiring sales reps seeking keys to unlock their personal sales performance. Most of the inquisitors are satisfied with a single brain-picking session, but one rep in particular keeps coming back for more. I teach him all sorts of sales strategies and techniques. He then returns with more follow-up questions seeking deeper understanding of how he can improve his sales pitches and practices. His goal is to sell 200 accounts this summer, which means he will earn 100K and secure himself a spot in the top 1% of our sales force. He leaves for the summer with an arsenal of new training. And although he does improve his performance, he doesn't even come close to selling 200. So he comes back to me for more training and we do it again. This time, however, I view his success as my personal responsibility. He is seeking mentorship and I need to prove to myself that I can effectively influence others as they achieve their ambitions and crush their goals. I work with this rep for eight months. I teach him every sales technique and pitch I know. He leaves for another summer, poised to make 100K by selling 200 accounts. He improves his sales again, but falls short of the 200 mark by 25 accounts. I take his failure personally. I know that he worked his guts out and mastered everything I taught him. But the higher he climbed, the less effective my training was in improving his performance. Don't get me wrong, my training did help, but it isn't putting him in the top 1%, and it's not allowing him to duplicate what I've done. Logically, this must mean that the problem is with what I'm teaching him. I spend time reflecting deeply on my experiences. I ponder the questions, what is the secret sauce that all top producers understand that allows them to outperform everybody else? What is the recipe that will allow anyone to dominate and become the absolute best? After a solid month of introspection and thought, I have a revelation so powerful, I lit out an audible, yes! I finally have my epiphany. I realized that pitches and practices will dramatically improve sales only at first, but as time progresses, improvements in salesmanship will deliver only marginal improvements to sales performance. Taking it to the next level requires something entirely different. When it comes to top salespeople, it's not about what they say. It's about who they are. It's not about the pitches. It's about the principles. This is the law of peak performance, and it applies to performance in any sport, company, industry, or ambition. The law of peak performance states that ability offers diminishing performance returns, but principles offer unlimited performance returns. 
Think of your job, career, company, field, industry, endeavor, or ambition. Think about whatever it is you want to become the absolute best at. At first, increasing your technical know-how and ability will improve your performance immensely. But as you begin to master your craft, the capacity of that know-how to push the needle will wane and eventually stop and you will plateau. That's when principles kick in. Principles are the rocket thrusters that can push you into the atmosphere and onto a cosmic trajectory where you will see and experience things that 99% of other people only dream of. All top performers in all industries, fields, and domains apply a universal set of principles that allows them to outperform everyone and maximize their human potential. If you live in harmony with the principles, you will be a top performer. The law of peak performance is the path to becoming the absolute best at anything you choose. Not the top five, not number three or number two, number one. The degree to which you apply the principles in this book will exactly equal the degree that you rise to the top. If you live these principles more deeply than 60% of other people, then your performance will outpace only 60% of other people. If you apply these principles more completely than 99% of other people, you will find yourself in the top 1%. As stated by business strategist Jim Rohn, success is not to be pursued. It is to be attracted by the person you become. The Law of Cause and Effect All that is necessary for you to become the best is to intentionally choose the path of success. You can choose your destination by choosing your steps. While this may seem like common sense, the world did not always subscribe to this philosophy. In 410 BC, the logician Socrates rocked popular belief by declaring that the events of a person's life were not determined by the fickle whims of the gods, but instead were the result of specific and identifiable causes controllable by the individual. The law of cause and effect states that nothing is beyond the reach of man or woman as long as the causes leading to some desired outcome are identified and executed. Personal development coach Brian Tracy clearly links his success to this principle. You can learn anything you need to learn to achieve any goal you want by finding out what others have done before you to get the same results you want to get. In other words, if you can identify what those who perform in the top 1% of your chosen ambition do, and more importantly, who they are as people, you can duplicate their actions and attributes to achieve the exact same results. Living the principles of peak performance will embody you with the attributes that will pull success to you with a gravitational force. The law of cause and effect is universal and applies to everyone. A tiny seed may look up at a great oak and question its potential to become the same. So it is with people. Your first step in rocketing towards your potential is to accept that you can become the best at whatever you choose. There is nothing special about the world's greatest producers and leaders other than that they follow a disciplined path toward a predictable end. Choose to follow this new path of peak performance and you can expect the same results for yourself. It's been said that insanity awaits those who repeat the same actions while expecting 
different results. This truth sits in perfect harmony with Socrates' law of causality. The same inputs will always produce the same results. The behaviors, attitudes, and actions that have led you to a five-figure income are evidently insufficient to lead you to six or to seven. And insanity surely awaits if you feel that those same actions will this year miraculously earn you more. In order to earn unbelievable money by becoming a top performer in your industry, there must be change. The miracle is that becoming number one is within the reach of everyone willing to pay the price. The principles of high performance are broken into five pillars. Hustle, consistency, perception, ethics, and giving. Embody these attributes and you can expect to achieve things that you never even considered yourself capable of. As you embark, consider the words of professional personal development trainer Dennis Deaton, who said, Success is the worthy reward bestowed upon those who seek it and apply the principles to merit and achieve it. This book was written for the thousands of brave salesmen and women that drive economies all over the world, but the principles apply in every field of life. For me, the six-figure summer meant earning $100,000 in four months as a college freshman by becoming the top door-to-door -door sales rep in my company. Your six-figure summer may represent something entirely different, but will always be characterized by maximizing your human potential and becoming the absolute best at what you do and enjoying the amazing harvest that follows. If you are listening to this audiobook purely out of curiosity, you can stop listening now. This book was not written to be informational. It was written to be transformational. This is not a training manual. It's a prescription of principles that must be practiced. Please make an internal commitment to live the principles that are contained within this book.